listening, Heidi. Great. Fantastic. So I'm on the line right now with Brock Dolman, who's the director of the Water Institute of the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center, and also um, very involved with all the work that's being done around the state for salmon um, safety and reintroduction. So, Brock, thank you so much for talking with us, and um, I'm really happy to think about how um, you recently won an award for what's called the Golden Pipe Award for um, talking about the role of beavers and as it might apply to salmon. So, give us a, a great introduction to what you do, and we'll get started. Yeah, well, thanks, and it's a pleasure to be on the phone with you, Heidi, since you're one of one of the great sheroes of the beaver world in California, and I'm a kindred beaver spirit here. Um, well, the Golden Pipe Award, which was a, a great honor, is from the Salmonid Restoration Federation, which is the, the statewide organization of, of practitioners, salmon recovery folks, agency people, um, uh, restoration practitioners and such. And I was honored to be able to receive the award. It, it often is uh, bestowed upon folks who they consider to be pioneers in the <laughs> habitat restoration field or um, uniquely thinking about or providing out-of-the-box or innovative restoration techniques. And and it's been a, an interesting road on my end uh, with a number of folks, but since I've been involved with the Salmonid Restoration Federation or what we call SRF for a number of years, over a decade, and over the years I've been bringing up beaver and like in the early years, you, you just get a bunch of chuckles and, and <laughs> sideways glances on this thing. And then slowly but surely, we began bringing in other notable beaver speakers and getting time on at the conference at, you know, sessions. And uh, we, we were able to have Michael Pollack be a keynote last uh-huh. year and um, at the conference and such. And, and so for me, mostly what I'm really interested or happy about is that we've sufficiently documented and, and brought forward the case within the Salmonid fisheries community of California that beaver are, in fact, a friend of, of the Salmonids, of coho salmon, of Chinook salmon, of steelhead, and so many other life forms. Right. And that um, the blessing, uh, or the, at least the acknowledgement and legitimization of beaver as one of the core tools in the toolbox to be considered for this challenging process of recovering these endangered and threatened species in California. And and that in and of itself is, is a I think, a really great platform to begin to launch from. So on behalf of Beaver, I, I humbly accept that award. <laughs> well, well, we are thrilled about it. And um, so your work with the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center is, um, is what generally, separate from this, or what do you do? Yeah, the, the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center, or OAEC for short, is a small nonprofit up here in western Sonoma County, above the, the bustling metropolis of Occidental. <laughs> and we are a group of, of biologists, farmers, thinkers, activists, community organizers, facilitators that purchased a piece of property here in 1994. And there's currently 10 of us that actually co-own it as an intentional community, which we call Sewing Circle. And then we have the nonprofit OAC, and we run a number of programs and workshops and a whole wide array of different things. But they're generally land-based and ecologically based or community social justice-based. Right. And, and 
the Water Institute is one of the primary programs that I, I direct and work with. And that's something that we started a program. I started something called the Basins of Relations, starting and sustaining community watershed groups back in the late 90s and have done trainings with community folks up and down the coast on thinking like a watershed and how to see your watershed as a basin and then talk about the relationships within that, both with all life forms and specifically humans. And over the years, so the listing of Salmonids has been one of those opportunities because right. of federal and state nexus and requirements and, and grant support to see them as, as totem salmon, to use the yeah. title of a great book by Freeman House. And in the work of trying to figure out how to think like a watershed and see totem salmon, what becomes clear at some point in those areas is that there's keystone beaver in the mix. <laughs> and the interesting thing is most folks think about beaver as a noun, yeah. as, a, as the animal it is. And in fact, Fish and Game's Wildlife Department really manages the noun. But the verb of beaver, the yeah. things beaver do, all of the amazing uh, things they do for connecting floodplain habitat or creating pools or increasing channel diversity and structure and woody debris and recharging groundwater and, and increasing downstream flows and creating wetlands and especially in drought conditions, much more water around for wildlife and themselves and reducing erosion and channel incision. And for coho salmon specifically, are those off-channel areas, those oxbow beaver bends, right. create what we call winter high-flow refugia, places for the little baby fish to go escape when, when our streams are really really flashy. And, and then those areas make more food. They increase right. the amount of food for what we call benthic macroinvertebrates, the little creepy crawly <laughs> bugs and such, which is fish food. And, and so there's more food, more water, deeper pools, cooler temperatures, and that means they're expending less energy, these fish, uh, and yeah. there's more food, so they get to grow up faster and, and get to be bigger. And the bigger a salmon is when it heads out to the ocean, the greater its survival rate is. And there's a number of studies out of Oregon and Washington that really positively correlate right. the presence of beaver habitat diversity and the improvement in population structure of listed salmonids, especially coho salmon and coho. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, how did you start to think about um, the relationship between beavers and and watersheds? I mean, how did what kind of turned you in this direction? You know, I'm a biologist by birth, and um, I my family we have our summer cabin up near West Yellowstone, near the Tetons area, uh -huh. and I spent many parts of my summers uh, trout fishing up in those systems, and and so I got to be around beaver dams a lot there, and then I grew up a bunch in Maryland and and fished beaver ponds a lot for bass and bluegill. And so as a young person who was just focused on fishing all through my elementary school into high school years, huh. I just have lots and lots of time, thousand hours, fishing beaver ponds because that's where the fish were. And that, it was always very clear to me. So it, it it somehow that experiential piece of the puzzle, I've just always been fascinated with beaver. Yeah. Whenever yeah. I'm out in the field doing field work or I'm just hiking or camping, if there's beavers around, then I go hang out and I try to figure them out. And I walk around and I look at their dams. And I, and then as I become increasingly interested in what I really call, uh, or as a biologist, I went to UC Santa Cruz and did a double major in, in conservation biology and agroecology. And I've always been interested in human land use and how, how do we have land uses that are what we might call more ecologically literate, if you will, and um, figure out how to retrofit human land use to 
to be in conformance with the elements and flows and cycles of life, the earth, air, fire, water pieces. Right. And basically what becomes clear to me, and I was a consulting wildlife endangered species biologist for many years in Santa Cruz, is that when the hydrologic cycle, the water cycle of a place has been compromised in its quantity and quality, the carrying capacity for life in that place will be accordingly reduced and compromised. So I really began to get focused as a biologist, who one who studies life, on really the element of life, water. Uh -huh. And that got me into the water path. And pretty quickly, if you're going to study watersheds and you're going to study water and the water cycle in a watershed, then to not apprentice yourself to the greatest hydro engineer <laughs> and, and, and architect that nature has evolved, at least in these northern temperate areas, then you're just missing out. And beaver really are one of the great teachers. And, and for me, as a as a, a an acolyte and a junior Darwin overachiever who is willing to study with other life forms towards biomimicry and hydromimicry. Yeah. Beaver becomes one of the great one of the great teachers and and that and so really in that sense of it, then I just began looking around California and and with folks like yourself and Rick Landman and others, um, began looking at some of the history here and reading some of these tracker right. journals of these these Russian logs and Fort Ross and and getting a sense of just the, the all over North America, as we well know, the extent of beaver trapping, but California has its own unique piece to that. And then you talk to so many folks, and there's this, oh, no, there weren't beaver here. Oh, they were only in the Delta. <laughs> and and, the, and this mythology that beaver either weren't native or very limited, and now they're just non-native nuisance species. In fact, that's yeah. one of the listings on the California Department of yeah. website. And I think we, it, it became, it's become a quest with a bunch of us to, to uh, kind of like being an ecological Sherlock Holmes here a little yeah. bit, to untease apart this mystery on behalf of reclaiming the rightful reputation that Castor Canadensis is in fact a partner in recovery and in fact our ability to achieve recovery of some of these listed species or improve water supply, especially in climate change constrained projections, high Sierra and mountain meadows, for instance, lots of snowpack, um, we won't be able to do it, and we darn well can't afford it economically in these uh -huh. challenging times because beaver do better work than us. They do it cheaper, obviously, <laughs> and they don't need permits. And so they, will, they can become partners, and we can actually collaborate with them in a, in a relationship that's reverential and reciprocal. What, what's the kind of challenging attitude you might face when you face this? What's the when you talk about when you promote what beavers can do? What's the biggest obstacle you encounter? Well, obstacle is the right word because generally the the, the perceived obstacle is the fact that beavers build these things called dams, and and those dams can are perceived to be obstacles to the movement of fish uh -huh. and the movement of water, especially if they happen to be right in the mouth of your culvert, and, right. and you're trying to get water through a culvert, and or or the dam is backing water up and it's flooding out onto somebody's property, which is what it should have done, and it probably used to do when the beavers were there before, but there's been a real estate war between people yeah. and beavers because the habitat beavers make is really good when you drain it for farming because it's beautiful black soil or it's nice and flat and you get to put houses on it. So there's an intrinsic real estate uh, um, competition thing right. going on between people who love black flatland floodplain soils for farming and houses, which in many cases is actually created or 
facilitated by the presence of beavers. So um, I think that that's, and then there's obviously the chewing of trees and uh-huh. heritage trees. So the beauty of it is to some degree is, is that, and thankfully a number of folks in other states around have been developing and working on so many management, non-lethal management tools. And so we can, there are ways to protect trees and there, and there are ways to manage the flow over beaver's dams to elevate or maintain the appropriate elevation of the beaver dam or protect the inlet of a culvert or, or not. And I think that if we can work with folks so that they can see we have a bit, ways to manage this population right. so we can coexist with it versus that it has to be about we need to just kill this beaver because they're a problem. Uh-huh. So how do we change the perception that beavers are a problem to beavers are a solution? But they're going to require management because they do things, and, and we now are sharing space together, and we have to sort that out. And we make those compromises with so many other parts of the society, and uh-huh. I think it's our job just to bring in the literacy that we have those tools to coexist with beavers in California. Right. Right. So, so your background is in biology. Yep. Okay. And what what would you say to other people who really want to further the work that you're doing, or really want to walk down that path? What should they study? Who should they talk to? Oh goodness. Well, good I think advice? they should um, they should uh, read everything on this most amazing website. This <laughs> group called Worth the Dance. Oh yeah. And um, and then here at the the OAC Water Institute, we're you know, collaboratively or as well, just beginning to build another a website that has resources on it to bring back the beaver campaign we're kind of supporting. I think part of it is is um, if you live in an area where there are beavers, then go hang out with them. Go check them out. Figure out what they do. And if there are possible conflicts, figure out who owns the land and can you talk to them and can you yeah. support them and being willing to have a discussion possibly if they're not happy about the beavers in finding a way that they can become happy with the beavers and, and allow the beavers to do what beavers should do. And I, I think about it and basically is supporting the creation throughout the state of, of groups of citizens at the local level that might be called beaver keepers. Yeah. Like creating something like the Beaver Keepers Alliance, kind of <laughs> modeled off the Water Keepers Alliance then, uh-huh. or the Stream Keepers Alliance, which is so well articulated nationally. And and it, because at some point it's at like, like the saying of Tip O'Neill, all all politics are local. Well, all beaver are local, and all water is local. And so at some level there's local, local, and we just need to manage it. It's one beaver dam at a time. As Will Harling in the Mid-Klamath Watershed Council says, restoring coho salmon one beaver at a time. Uh-huh. And we have to do that locally. But because beaver is a public trust resource of we, the people of California, and therefore it is managed by the California Department of Fish and Game, we also have work to do in Sacramento at the higher level with respect to policies around beaver management or depredation and, and uh, you know, those sorts of things. And the interesting thing, back to my, my sort of phrasing around the noun of beaver, the animal yeah. versus the verb, and at Fish and Game, the discussion I'm having with folks there, which has been, is going really well so far, is that they have a number of divisions. They have water rights divisions, they have fisheries, they have wildlife, they have regulation, they have depredation. And wildlife manages the noun beaver, but beaver, the verb beaver crosses over to all of their divisions. And so really for them as an agency to 
best understand how to fully manage Beaver, it has to be an inter-age or interdivisional based collaboration between the, the fisheries, water depredation regulation, wildlife people, because beaver crosses over yeah. into so many arenas, which is exactly why it is a keystone species. Right. By definition, a keystone is really that organism that upon which it, its presence disproportionately amplifies the, the carrying capacity for so many other processes and life forms. Yeah. And so it's, it's a different, I think it's a different, as beaver almost more than any other critter I know, is it, it requires us to become interdisciplinary <laughs> in our thinking because it, it is so affecting, effectual within so many other people's arenas. And that's its blessing and sometimes it's its bane because it yeah. sits in other people's ways who have a different aspect or... They have yeah. a different vision. Their goal is we are flood control man managers and right. we're going to make a trapezoidal channel to dehydrate this landscape to get water away as fast as possible so we can occupy the real estate for agriculture <laughs> or, or housing. And beaver has, a, beaver has a different vision about a landscape that's not about dehydration. It's about rehydration. And right. Humans, right. We are very good at the drain age. We've been draining and dehydrating and desiccating California and reducing its wetlands, 90-plus percent loss of wetlands and riparian forest. And we have, by our land use through drainage, have created a desiccated and dehydrated and very non-resilient landscape at the state level. And now the water wars are intensifying. And Beaver believes in the retain age, the slow it, huh. spread it, sink it, seep it, share it, yeah. uh, capture it. And really, they, Beaver are clear that in California, we don't live in a water-scarce area. We live in a storage-scarce area. Huh. And what beaver do is they store water and they retain it. In this Mediterranean climate, that's the best thing we can do is how do you translate that snow melt or that intense rainfall into staying on the land in a good way yeah. so that it's there in September and October because we got a whole bunch of it in right. in March this year. Right. Well, Brock, I could just listen to you forever because everything you say I'd love to hear. But you sound like you've been around beavers for a long time. So do you have a memory of the first time you really saw a beaver or that you really got an impression of one? You know, the, mm, other than being a, a, a elementary school kid, like I said, just poking around beaver ponds in the Yellowstone area, yeah. Um, my my best memories of beavers really were probably when I first moved to Maryland in sixth grade, huh. and my dad's a retired captain in the Marines, and so I'm one of those military brats, and and we camped out along a, a pond for a number of months until we had purchased a house, and it was one of the great times. I was I'd never been back east, and um, there was these big things called largemouth bass and bluegill huh. and snapping turtles and and all these snakes and. And and then there was this beaver pond in, on there, and I remember just spending many, many days through the summer swimming in the beaver pond and diving down and trying to climb up into the lodge and sinking <laughs> in the lodge and sticking. I stuck my head up through the, you know, tried to get my body up into the lodge and, you know, having that whole dynamic of all yeah. that exploration and such and the slapping of the tail thing and seeing <laughs> them build wood and, and and I just got to live with this little family of beavers, in essence, or at least witness their work on a daily basis because right. I was fishing their pond every day for six weeks. Yeah. And so that, I I don't, you know, I wasn't being 
analytical or scientific. <laughs> I was just being in the pureness of the wonder of, of a kid who wasn't afflicted with nature deficit disorder. Yeah. And the things that Richard Louvre writes about in his, his wonderful book, Last Child in the Woods, and why they're pushing this campaign at the national level of the No Child Left Inside Act. Yeah. And um and so beaver for me were just one part of that puzzle as much as right. garter snakes were and snapping turtles and bass and 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 red winged blackbirds. Yeah, yeah. Well, um that's I could really see you as a child poking your head in a beaver lodge. And um I I have been so enthusiastic and supportive of everything you've done really really just in, enlightens me and makes me really excited. So I'm so happy you talked with us at Agents of Change, and I I really appreciate all the work that you're continuing to do on behalf of help, helping people see beavers in a new way. You well, know, yeah. It's an honor and a pleasure to collaborate with you on this work, and 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 I think that as as we have now, uh, 2012 is going to be the year of the beaver in California. And, and it's a, it's going to be a watershed moment in the perceptual understanding of people about uh, reclamation of beaver. Yeah, well, in in the literal sense, too, the I assume. Sense. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank, thank you, Brock. I'm okay. going to hang up on the other thing. I'll stay on for a second. Okay, Heidi.